Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Triggers of Spiritual Medicine. I am Laura Joseph, your host. And uh, to give you a little bit about what we are about, um, our vision is to break the unrecognized endemic of unresolved, unhealed trauma and to create sustainable systems for recovery, healing, and empowerment. Our mission is to help others rediscover the power that lies within and to find that treasure buried in the depths of the shadows and to help them become their own superhero. We hope by bringing in experts and people with wonderful, amazing, incredible stories. Some of the stories might be triggering folks. This one might be one of them, by the way. Um, but connecting the dots to the web, we can help understand the trauma infection that Im impacts all areas of our life, like addiction, domestic violence, racism, homelessness, sexual abuse, chronic health issues, cancer, environmental issues, climate change, and more. We hope by highlighting these infected areas and what they share in common with a new perspective of solutions, healing, and resolutions, we can birth some wonderful things. And that's kind of what this is. This is a collaborative program with uh, industry experts, survivors, the whole works. We, we're going to be sharing some wonderful things. And today I have an amazing co-host. Her name is Melanie Brown. And uh, we're going to be talking about something in the yoga industry. So if you are a yogi and you are a yoga teacher or you own a studio or you want to take a yoga class, you especially better listen to this episode because we're going to talk about some some things, and please be open-minded to what the conversation is going to be about, because I do understand that this might be triggering for some of you, and we're hoping that we can communicate some problematic things that need to shift um, to help you show up better as teachers and as studio owners moving forward. So welcome, Melanie. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell me about your background and give us a little tidbit. So and kind of what brought, what brought us here today? Uh, so I am a trauma educator. Um, so how I came to trauma work, I had my former high school teacher. I love teaching. I probably would have stayed teaching high school for the rest of my life had I not been um, so um, disappointed and devastated by our education system. Uh, so I had some personally devastating experiences, domestic violence, displacement, and I, st I was introduced to learning about trauma and I kind of viewed my, my students differently. Um, but let's see, um, are you ever able to pause? I just had a blank, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so as a trauma educator, I just, felt like we needed a new lane. Like I love therapists. They're some of my, my favorite people. They're some of my best friends, but I just felt like going through some really difficult, harsh experiences. I wish I understood what was happening to me and it would have been deeply empowering. Um, my consultancy is called in being my websites and being empowered on purpose. I believe when we understand ourselves and, and one another, um, some of the barriers come down to it's my favorite understanding of trauma is probably something that um, Russell Brand said on a podcast with Gabor Mate, who's my favorite trauma educator. It, when, you, when you deeply study trauma, it's like taking a pill and seeing entirely different patterns in the world. And I believe if we, if we cultivated uh, trauma education, we would see each other so differently. 
and we would have vastly different systems that were just and connected. Uh, and, and we would recognize our interdependence and how trauma passes through us literally not to use an uncomfortable um, symbol right now, but like a virus, it passes through us if it's unchecked. Um, understanding trauma is cycle breaking, so. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, right? I mean, hmm. yeah, it's, um, you know, it brings me to what you posted earlier hmm. um, regarding your experience uh, in a in a yoga studio, right? Yes. Um, where you went to a yoga studio expecting one thing that was advertised, you got a whole different experience. Can you explain what happened? <laughs> yeah. So I, I personally, my like daily, um, my daily medicine, my antidepressant, my anti-anxiety is like hot yoga. I, I fall in love with it. I just love it. And I went to a, actually a power vinyasa class. And there's specific protocols for it. Um, so there's, there is music and there is loud energy at certain times in the class, but the, the classes are really designed to center in, um, also give you that time to really focus on breath work, et cetera. So I, I've been practicing at the studio. I trained at the studio and I know the protocols at the studio. I went into a yoga class this morning after um, two very difficult days, but particularly Wednesday was just a horrific day for me. Um, devastating news. I was, I was, my nervous system was wrecked. I actually canceled the rest of my work day. Um, and I really needed my yoga class this morning. And so I went and I had had the teacher before. Um, and I, it, she started the class with us in child's pose and there's, there's music in these classes. And she started the class with, with like club music, like high bass and thump, 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 like, and she had that going for about 30 minutes in the sequence. Now you gently enter a yoga class, you center, there should be gentle music. The only um, part of the, the class that should have energetic music at all would be in the flow, in the power flow, which is about, should be about a 20 minute thing. Um, but like I said, I've been practicing the studio for years. I trained there and it's supposed to be high energy, but it's not supposed to be too much. So she had this high bass and then she turned it up even more to the point where I was in the class feeling like I have to get out of here. Like this is hurting my ears. It's grating my nervous system. And, and like, she's completely unaware of that. She's not paying attention to her students. She has no idea. She's not gauging the room at all. Because I stopped practicing and I looked at her and I tried to get her attention a couple of times. Just be like, can you turn it down? Took me a while. I asked her, she turned it down like a notch, you know? And like, I really just wanted to sweat. I had a busy week. I really, really wanted to be there. So I did stick it out, but the, the music, she just, the entire sequence of music for a good 30, 40 minutes was bass and it was bump, bump, bump. And I'm just feeling this great on my system. And in addition to that, it's supposed to be a power flow class. So if you're feeling a lot of music and you want to like move, like some, you know, you, sometimes you want to dance it out to some loud music. Okay. So Mel used a class like this. She kept us in slow movement the whole time and so many static holds. So you're just being held there with like, bump, bump, like just grating through your body. And um, I, I had not ever experienced anything like that with the studio before. I've never experienced that in a yoga class. And so at the end of the class, it was, it was a young- pretty, it, was pretty, it was pretty traumatic then for you. It really was. I was really yeah. looking to just like, one of the reasons I like the studio is because they, the teachers don't always model things. They're supposed to voice a lot so that you can just get lost in your own space. 
why I'd continue to practice there. And I love that because I don't want to be looking at anybody. I just want to be lost in my breath with my body. And like, it's, a, it's really strengthening for me. And it's proven incredibly, incredibly helpful in, in maintaining myself as a trauma educator who has to think and be in hard conversations all the time. I really need the self-care. So there's a very young teacher, uh, you know, she's probably a couple of years older than my son. She might've been, you know, 23. I don't know, but she, um, I went up to her afterwards and I, I was just, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I was just like, the music in that class was really, um, was really loud. And it was really difficult for me. I'm like, I've taken your class before, I, you know, and I've really liked it. The sequence was good, but you, you, it was a slow moving sequence and the music with the bass, it was just really loud. Um, and it was just really, um, uncomfortable. Um, but I've taken your classes before and, and, you know, I really, I've really appreciated them before. And so I was really talking to her, like, I'm, I'm saying this to you because I want to take your classes. You know, we have to, like, we all have busy lives. And so the location and the time, and you can't always, you can't always take the classes you want to take. But like, I try to take, do yoga classes at least five times a week. So I really try to fit in at least five and, and it can be hard. So you don't always just get to pick like that really experienced teacher because it might not fit in your schedule. And I'm, I'm a super, I love doing yoga in the morning, first thing. Um, so I really wanted to come back to the class because it work, works for my life. And I was being intentional about, I really appreciated the sequence. The sequence was good. You know, the music would work really well with the power sequence, but, you know, just without the bass or lower. Um, and I'm like, please, I'm like, and I, I was just like, we don't really know each other, but I'm actually certified as a yoga teacher. I'm actually, I work in trauma. And I was just, it was really uncomfortable. And I was, I tried to be as kind a messenger as possible. I thought this was a much better choice than say like alerting the studio manager. You know, I just thought it was like, oh, here's a seed, you know, but this was, she was, her reaction was like, oh, not all classes are for all people kind of thing. She's, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something very, it was quite dismissive. And yeah, so, which basically yeah. says to me, right here, mm. here, she perpetuated harm. Yeah. She triggered, she triggered something um and i know from being an experienced meditation teacher and a reiki teacher and also a trauma person myself who works with a lot of people with trauma as somebody who's a teacher you have to know how to gauge that room you have to know and here's here's a parallel i guess maybe i don't know if you can relate to this where i had somebody who called me uh, who was a 911 operator who had serious ptsd and had gone to multiple yoga classes and meditation and said that she couldn't even stay in there because she found them very triggering and it was causing um, uh, an adverse effect. So um, when she came to my meditation class, she sat at the far closest place to the door. And there was one aspect of the meditation and I saw a shift in her and the way she was breathing and catching the, it, it was starting to have that adverse effect. Well, my job as a teacher is to catch it before it causes harm. Mm. So I immediately shifted how I was calibrating that, that meditation class to recalibrate. Yeah. And she at the end, and so did the, a couple others, said, well, you did something that changed, but I actually went from being triggered to actually getting calm again. And yeah. that is, so like there's more than textbook stuff that we learn, whether it's yoga, Reiki, meditation, right? Or yes. you know, there's, there's, there's more to learn and it's knowing how to gauge the room, right? 
So it's hugely important as a teacher, you know, to know there's, there's one thing about textbook stuff, right? We learn about textbook stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing even from you is you went to this class that was described one way mm-hmm. and it wasn't performed or it wasn't taught as described yes. by an inexperienced teacher yes. and which then perpetuated harm. And then when you try to communicate in a very kind way, the harm that was committed by this teacher they actually then went from unknowingly perpetuating harm to knowingly perpetuating harm, even though they might say they didn't realize they perpetuated harm, by dismissing your, your complaint about the harm they were perpetuating. They weren't even willing to look at themselves, which one of my big pet peeves about spiritual practices that are very westernized and colonized and capitalized is that it's all about the ego and the, and the capitalization and not about being deeply rooted in the craft. Because if you're deeply rooted in the craft, part of being deeply rooted is being trauma-informed, knowing how to engage the room, knowing how to do your own inner work and your own fuck show and, do, and, t- and talking and walking the walk and how you preach the shit, okay? Because if you're not, if you're just going, and I was doing yoga, then you're not doing yoga. If you're just doing Reiki or you're doing meditation, I mean, this is what all my season, I'm talking season teachers. I'm talking about teachers that are rooted culturally. It's in their DNA, right? It's in their veins. It's passed on that, that way as well. And, and I've heard it over and over and over. Like I learned from my teacher, if you want to learn Reiki, you got to learn all of it. You can't just learn a snippet and think that you're an expert. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. Protocols. Like if you're not constantly learning, like I know people that are Reiki teachers that are teaching inaccurate, wrong history <laughs> that's been debunked for like almost eight years now. And it's like, what are you like? That's telling me that you're not, st- you're, you're just thinking like, yeah, you're just not sticking up to, you're not constantly learning and you're not finding and searching seasoned teachers to keep up leveling your, this is why they have sensei. And they have student, mentor, and student. And in order, and I learned this a long time ago, to really learn anything well takes 20 years. So really and truly, nobody should be teaching anything like we call it the old way, right? You should be doing it day in, day out, living it, breathing it for 20 years before you really should be a teacher. You are are so speaking um, to one of, my biggest pet peeves in this pandemic coming coming as a trauma educator because I worked on, I have been studying and learning and developing my own curriculum and an understanding of trauma um, inside out for a good 10 years before I thought I could bring it anywhere. And then the pandemic hits and every other person, a yoga teacher who's taught yoga for five years, calls themselves a trauma educator. And is like, when you teach it at that deeply shallow level, you pervert information and you harm. And I have oh, I've had so many conversations in this pandemic about everybody thinks they understand trauma now. And then they put that word out there and somebody experiences learning about trauma from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And it's harmful. And then, and then if they ever come to me, they've got this preconceived notion, you know, and I, I totally get that. And, uh, 
I come from an, you know, an academic teaching background. One of my favorite things. So this, this goes, this is a practice that we all could hope, hopefully bring to, a, you know, any of our work. My, one of my favorite things was to um, give out questions to students to ask them what their favorite thing was about a lesson or a period of time and what they remembered and stuff like that. And when I spoke and I tried to teach even academically, the different things that were received by my students, what actually never connected to them that I thought I had really taught was such an education and such a strengthening process for me as an educator. And so to get feedback is, and I love feedback if it's kindly delivered. It's, it's, it helps me grow. I'm not in your skin from your experience and your life lens. Help me see where you're coming from because I'm going to have blind spots. We you're all right. have, yeah, it's, it's. You're right because I mean, I have the similar pet peeve because um, I've been doing trauma work now for almost 20 years and, yeah. you know, starting out um, doing advocacy work to, you know, understanding healing and alternative healing and, and, and all that, you know, the the polyvagal theory and oh, I can keep going. Right. So, and one of my big pet peeves, yeah, that with the pandemic is I'm even seeing business coaches that have no qualifications calling themselves trauma experts and it's dangerous because, Mm -hmm. and I've had this conversation with some of my students um, that because I had one, I had one conversation with a student of mine that was dealing with somebody with addiction and serious suicidal ideation. And I flat out told them they should not be working with them because they're not qualified. Good. And, and, and they were like, but I'm doing this and I'm doing healing work and, and they're getting good. And I'm like, but you're not qualified to handle. You do not know how to handle suicidal ideation unless you are working with somebody who is a psychotherapist and you're working in unison with that person who is an expert. <laughs> you're not. Because if that mm-hmm. person goes and commits suicide, you're, li- you're liable for their death. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and this, is, this is the problem. Like, uh, you know, it's going to cause problems in licensing and regulations and all these yogis that they go and they, they follow somebody on Instagram and they just follow these tweets. And they follow these posts and they're learning that way and they think that they're an expert. Or I've heard lately, because the Johnny Depp trial has brought this up. <laughs> yeah. I know trauma because I was a survivor. So I know how it works for everybody. You bring up another thing that's deeply painful the past couple of years. Um, there's, there's a woman who calls herself a trauma expert. She wrote a book. Um, and being, uh, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a voracious reader. Like people ask me, like, I, I have to read everything. I'm just, I'm like, I, like I said, I'm, I'm very heady. I'm, I love people like you, but I will never step into that lane because it's not my lane. I want to send people to people like you. I want you to know there's Reiki and I want you to know the studies and I want you to know it can help you. And then I want to send it to somebody who's expert at it. So well, hopefully I'll you like my next book that's coming out hopefully in the fall. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is yes. all about which is all about trauma and foreign Reiki, by the way. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Um, and this woman, like, she went through some deeply traumatic experiences at the end of her marriage, and then decided she was really depressed and, and she felt traumatized. And so she decided this is a privileged woman with resources uh, that she decided that if she felt this way, um, and she went and she like I think she got certified in yoga, but she but she teaches these sessions. 
and I know two people she's harmed. She has no certification. She's done a yoga training and she read some trauma books and I've read her book. And basically she is just parroting some experts teachings. And, and often she, there's a quote weaved through there that she doesn't qualify. And she really just co-opted and was like, oh, I read all these books. Now I'm a trauma expert. And she's actually caused harm in some of the circles she's, she's held, even with one of my dear friends who's become a dear friend. And because I've seen it in Reiki too, I've seen it in Reiki. (laughs) So she, because she had money, she had the privilege. And one of the things she says in these trauma healing circles is one of the things she had said, well, there's two really good examples. One of the things she said, if all you can do is get up and go to a yoga class and drag yourself out of bed and then, because you're so depressed and then just climb back into bed, that's okay. And I'm just thinking like, on what planet do you live? that you can sleep all that, be in bed all day and just work on your healing. Like no social structural reality of what the experience of many traumatized people have. Like poverty is a condition of trauma, single mothers, dads, like it was just an absurd recommendation, right? And then also one of somebody who's become a dear friend had said that- And what worked for one person doesn't work. That's, that's the misconception that, about trauma. Like just because no you are, just because you are a survivor and I can't yeah. tell you how many survivors haven't even done their work. <laughs> they haven't yeah. even done because they've been so stuck in survival mode. If you're stuck you in survival mode and you haven't mm. dealt with your stuff and like I'm, I was interviewing people for the podcast, right? And there was one person yeah. that came to me and said, I want to be on your podcast. I come from X, Y, and Z, you know, trauma. And, and I developed autoimmune disorders and I teach people how to, how to live with it. And I'm like, just because you got out of the abuse, you still have the autoimmune disorders, which is still trauma. So how are you going to help people if you haven't been able to help yourself yet? Mm. Mm, yeah. I mean, I got off of the reason why I can talk about my story now. I said to a client of mine, I go, the one thing that I, I said I will consider myself fully restored is if I can beat this, this, this fine line that I've been teetering on auto, autoimmune because of the hypervigilance that I didn't catch from 30 years of trauma that um, and genetics. And I think now I'm battling the genetic thing the older I get. But the whole trauma piece that listed that takes on now as a form of autoimmune disorder. And I say, because I got off of all my meds, I healed this, I healed that. They wanted to do a hysterectomy. Nope. I still have that healed that. And I go, so I can at least say, I can walk the talk and I can talk about that. But if you haven't healed those things, you really can't talk about it because what medicine can you really offer? Mm. Yeah. What medicine, what's the medicine, right? And like, I think that's the misconception is like, just because you overcame or you left an abuse, that's just step one. That's just congratulations. But that is just step one. Now you've got to deal with the fallout. You've got to deal with it physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you're not dealing with it on all three planes, I call three planes, the three-legged stools, what I use all the time as representative of the human body. If you're only addressing it like psychologically through a therapist and not the other two legs, you are not restoring wholeness. If you're not reversing autoimmune disorders, you're not restoring wholeness. If you're not addressing the trauma piece with your cancer, you're not, you're not restoring wholeness. 
if you're not addressing your bipolar, your anxiety, and you're, and all you want is more medication, you're not addressing the trauma. Like, so it's, that's, I think the misconception, right? Is how do we bring in the medicine mm. that is so desperately needed in a society that is a pill popping? I want it now. I want to get certified now and call myself an expert. Let's uh, talk about the medicine piece. So, so, the, so I don't, I don't consider myself a healer at all. I consider myself a teacher and I love to come at, I love to, to throw people your, to people like you, but I love to empower people to understand that uh, about the, like, okay, there's a, there's a likelihood if you experience domestic violence that several years out, your, your nervous system is gonna be fried or, or even at that time, you have to recognize your nervous system is gonna be fried and you could develop what, what is most common with domestic violence, autoimmune disease and addiction, right? Those are the two common ones. And if we understand- A lot, a lot of it, and a lot of it can be, because I've had it show up as uh, knee replacements that don't heal, hip replacements, cardiovascular, diabetes, IBS, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, breast cancer. I can make a list of everything associated just with yeah. domestic violence that shows up as chronic illness. Again, yeah. for folks who are listening, there is a book coming out on that, on how to use a certain Japanese therapy called traditional Reiki on addressing the roots to chronic illness and trauma. There you go. So there's my point. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, so like everything about my work is I wish I knew this before I experienced all sorts of trauma. And I know from, I know that people, when the people are empowered to know, okay, I can't go this alone. I need, I need people. I need I think I'd like to try Tai Chi. I think I'd like to try Reiki. And I just wanted them to know the options. And I want them to know the neurophysiology of what's happening in their system, right? That's, that's if, if I have any medicine at all, it's the empowerment through the, the understanding. And then I send them to, to the really good yoga teachers or the Reiki people like yourself. And so what, what do you think? What do you think, and here's another part of the medicine, right? Because there are going to be probably yoga teachers and yoga studios. Yeah. And they're probably thinking like, what was missed? What could, what could the yoga teachers or uh, yoga studios do better? How can they show up better? When it comes, like for me, I know a lot of it is we keep pushing this whitewashing of sacred teachings and the, the mm -hmm. capitalistic mentality. That's a whole other thing. But how can they show up better without creating a perpetuating harm? So, I mean, that's a, I mean, I can say the things they can do, but it's very anti-capitalist. Um, a lot of studios, uh, the, a big part of their income is their teacher training money. So the more, more people they train, that's a big part of their revenue. So saying stop training so many people and do develop deeper trainings with fewer people you know, so also so you don't saturate the market because it's it's incredibly impossible to be a full time yoga teacher and make a living because the market is saturated with everybody with uh, who teaches a yoga class or two and wants to be a yoga teacher. But that's not their full time job. And I don't want to I don't want to take a class from people who it's not it's not your it's not your work. It's not your life. You know, the same way. I think it's absurd that somebody who was a reporter five minutes before the pandemic decides that they're a trauma educator and walks around a circle being like, are you triggered? Are you triggered? So I like, I do this during the pandemic. No background, no understanding. One understanding that you get triggered. Oh, I understand a trigger. 
And it's like, oh, we're talking about trauma and like totally misinforming people. So uh, not to get too long-winded on that, but yeah, it's just, it's anti-capitalist what really needs to happen. I remember having, I have so many yoga friends in my community. Um, and I remember so many people just putting free yoga classes on Facebook. Meanwhile, my friends are trying, trying to make their studios survive and I'm just like I so I'm certified as a yoga teacher I could have jumped on there done some stuff I could have led some stuff because I understand it but that's not that's not my lane you know my lane I, I spend all day every day reading all the books like I I read three books a week on something in relation to one of my clients or my work and stuff like that that's my lane I'm not going to jump on because I have a 200 hour certificate in it, like when I trained in 2013 to be a yoga teacher, I went to it to try to understand it inside out because I was also studying yoga and the history and the neurophysiology and I wanted the experience. But in my cohort at the end of the training, I didn't feel everybody wanted, everybody was about to audition to teach at the studio. And I, after it was an eight week training, you took 60 classes in eight weeks, talk about cracking open in a dissociated body. Um, I was just not. Yeah. I, so I, it's like, it's like, oh. How can no, you teach? How can you? Right. So how yeah. can you teach something? Right. And I think this is where. And, and I'm. Yeah. See, I get a little blunt. I know I'm probably gonna. I'm probably gonna offend some people. But um, if you're triggered by it, then I'm hoping it triggers you to do better. And then I'm gonna preface that. Um, but we have a lot of bastardization of sacred practices that take away the roots, right? It's stripping away, like, like I don't know about yoga because I, I can't speak yoga, but I can speak Reiki. Mm. Um, we strip away the roots to the system. Like Reiki is rooted in Japanese Shinto culture. <laughs> that is not something you can teach in a one-day class. That is not something that you can teach because to really understand that takes 20, if not a lifetime. That's why a teacher, a lot of times in Japanese culture, is typically an elder, okay? You don't see in indigenous cultures, the teachers are the elders because they have enough experience behind them to have the wisdom to teach, <laughs> okay? And it's rooted in certain teachings. And usually those teachers, that's why like, you can't, you can't, I can't, call myself a, a sensei. I'm referred to as a sensei by my students if they feel I've earned it, okay? Mm. And a lot of times it's rooted um, even in DNA. So like shamans, like people call themselves shamans. You see in this, we're being bastardized too. I am a shaman. Well, every time I see that, that's coming from a place of ego, not because you were learning something and now, because if you're a teacher, in a, in a specific spiritual traditional teaching that's not Americanized, you actually have a responsibility, like in Japan, we say the gods, okay? So God, the universe, because humans are seen as the most evolved being. Therefore, if you're going to learn this and embody it, you have to master it before you can teach it to others. And then... You have a responsibility to be a steward to the teaching, to not just, it's not about earning the money. It's about being the steward to the earth, to the ancestors, to your lineage, to your family, 
how are you learning these? Like this is the book I'm writing in, in the fall. It's all about how are you honoring these systems, right? Mm. Uh, these principles and embodying them and living them, not just speaking them, right? Not just saying them, not just going, oh, because it's cool. And, but are you really embodied? Do you really even know what OM means? Do you even know what it feels like in your body? Like, and I get, I can't speak yoga, but this to me, it's simple concepts like that because we just go, oh, it's cool. I'm doing a yoga pose and I'm going to look pretty on Instagram. Yes. Yes. Like if you, that's if you're not in- yoga folks. Hello. That is not yoga. <laughs> yoga is not exercise. <laughs> I mean, so it can- is exercise, but it's not just exercise. It's movement. right. Right. Yeah. But it's also a sacred practice, right? That's based in, in Hindu in East Indian Hindu teachings. Right. And just like in Reiki, like I know people that teach Reiki that don't even know Reiki history. I know nothing about that it's Japanese. And I'm going, that's scary. To me, that's scary. You're getting paid to teach something and you don't even know the roots. So, you know, for me, like, I don't know, like yoga teachers, like, hello, copped on, like, take a step back. I know, like, especially in Boston, the rents are high. I get it. But we have to find a way. We have to find a way to honor honor because we would not have these gifts if it wasn't for some other melanated human being in another part of the earth that we enslaved by the way let's talk about that that we enslaved and now we're going to profit off of them so we have to look back because now that by the way by doing it that way we are unknowingly or knowingly perpetuating harm just by that act alone. Absolutely. And I, I have to say my, one of my, the favorite white woman teacher that I've, I've had um, at this studio prefaced or she ended her classes rather, she would always say, and we need to rest in gratitude for the traditions that gave us these gifts. And, you know, she would say all sorts of things around that and at least acknowledging it because it, yoga does benefit the the body mind connection um and our wellness so much there's so many gifts of it gifts to it but you know we we need to stay connected to that like when i trained and and they were trying to get us to memorize sanskrit sanskrit poses and my brain was it doesn't didn't doesn't wrap around other languages particularly easy but it just didn't feel right and it was like i'm in my head right now and i'm supposed to be here with my students and so i am understanding this tradition but like if you if you go into an eight-week training you can't understand much at all about a tradition or a history or whatever and so I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't have time to study any origins of these words that I was speaking I was mouthing them and you know with a pose and that was uncomfortable to me as well I yeah that just the, the shallow scrapes into any anything really can turn turn people off to being open to these wonderful healing modalities, which is, you know, I talk a lot about in, in workshops and um, in different things with like, we are so taught in this society to live externally. It's just, it's just all ego and capitalism competition. It's we're living from the inside out. So I'm going to create an idea of who I want to be. And then I'm a step toward that as opposed to really sitting with myself and being like, where's my lane? You know, so many people have been like, Oh yeah, you could be a yoga teacher or, or I have a, I have a lot of people who are like, you should, 
you should run, actually, this is a different part of me. You should run for, for uh, office, right? And it's just, it's not my lane. Like you have to know yourself, you know, you have to know. Isn't that what yoga and Reiki, the roots to it really are about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's such a gift to get to, it's a discovery. It's a constant, yeah. it's a constant and the process. And, and I, yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but I know like with Reiki, because there's a lot of language you have to learn in Reiki too. And it's, yeah. it's Japanese is not easy to learn. So like one of the, one of the sayings that I, that I put in the book is, is Kyo Dakiwa. Kyo Dakiwa means just for today. And the thing is, is like, well, what does that really mean just for today? Like, and are you really processing? Because it's really about being present. And if you're not working every day at being present, then you're not actually learning Reiki because that's really some of the medicine of spiritual medicine of Reiki. That's just one of five, right? And so like the Sanskrit probably wasn't resonating with you because you weren't there yet. You just weren't there yet. And the Sanskrit will become easier to learn once you're able to embody it and then you start getting it, right? So this is where it's like, hmm, now I get it, right? But I yeah. think like, so what, what do you think the teacher today could have done better? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, it was, it was quite obvious that my intention, I was, I mean, particularly kind and it's just stay open. Yeah. I mean, I mean, stay open to the process. I think that one of the things about anything I have spent poured so much time and energy into is that I never get there. So I can't imagine ever getting to a place where I have figured it all out and I can't kindly be, be um, offered some suggestions or guidance or anything like that. I would never want to stop evolving and growing. What would be the point of that? So my favorite educators, like I said, uh, in, I'm in the trauma field and my all time hands down above the crowd is Dr. Gabor Mate because I, I just, I adore his humility. If he doesn't know something as the ultimate trauma educator, he just tells you. He was in a room full of therapists one time giving a lecture and he's the expert. And uh, it was, yeah, so therapist asks, well, what do you do with, how can I help my orthorexic client, right? So that's like somebody committed to hyper clean eating. And he's, he looks at them and he's like, well, um, first of all, you're gonna have to tell me what orthorexia is. I, I don't, I'm not familiar, right? So he's not trying to be like, I've got it all figured out. I know all this stuff. He's going to be like, explain the pattern to me and let's see if we can have a conversation. And together we're going to learn because I come with some knowledge, but I don't know it all. And every day I, I've worked really hard to develop all these understandings and these expertise. It's day in, day out for years and years and years. And I have this vast wealth of knowledge and experience to offer. Yeah. But I am still going to grow and learn in connection with you. And I believe teaching my favorite teachers are, are those kind of people. Right, because so it's, it's, it's the art. My father was an osteopath and he said the one thing he's even learned about medicine in general is it isn't one shoe fits all because medicine is an art. And it's the same thing. We learn these sacred practices. Like I tell my students with like Jiken and Reiki, because I'm, I'm an approved Jiken and Reiki teacher out of Japan, that, um, you know, there's certain things we learn. Like if we, if I have a client that comes to breast cancer, if I have a client that comes with ulcerative colitis or whatever, knee replacements, you know, you learn as you go. And the more you work, the better you get because you start seeing, you know, you can't learn by theory. You learn by doing. And that's the experience because, you know, 
you're a student until you have enough experience. Yes. And I think that's a challenge. Like, you know, um, we have become a, and this is one of the, and one of the fears, like for those who don't live in Massachusetts, for instance, this is why states want to, well, they want to regulate for multiple reasons, because they see you folks wanting to capitalize it for money. So the state now wants to get in and get their percentage of, of it too. Okay. Like my town alone wants to charge $300, my town, not the state charges $300 a year for a license to practice whether some sort of body therapy, okay? $300 a year for a town license. That's not including like anything else that you might do, okay? So any kind of mind-body therapy. So they are capitalizing because there are too many people being churned out and calling themselves professionals. And now it's becoming a problem because people are actually getting harmed. Yes, yes. If I could just actually loop back, and I think this is super relevant because it very, it's very, it completely parallels my experience this morning. So my dear friend who worked with this other person who did not have official training, um, just jumped into it, you know, very briefly after her own healing, her own um, beginnings of healings, uh, actually was holding a, a circle, and there was an African American woman in the circle, and this woman was uh, speaking in terms of dark and light. And the woman said, can we stop using dark as a negative word in this experience? Um, it's making me uncomfortable, right? So she, we can she, go into a whole other talk about anti-racism because uh, I, I talk about anti-racism and how, um, how I wish more even trauma, people that claim to be trauma-informed, you want to you really understand trauma, you need to do anti-racism work. You want to help pass stricter domestic violence legislation, you need to understand anti-racism work because like you don't have a clue until you do anti-racism work. You understand yeah. anti-racism work, then you're going to really understand domestic violence, trauma, and all these other intersectionality. And I agree because I've had some of my persons of color, they, they said, you can't, if you do light and dark, you're actually basically saying that my skin is, is toxic and my skin is negative. Yes, yes. And like, if you're a white person living your life, and you've got this blind spot to this woman. So my friend is the, the friend in the circle was a white woman. This is the woman I know, telling me the story, and she was really bothered. Um, and she tried to speak up for, because she wasn't being listened to. And she tried to like, be like, okay, this is my job to stand up for this, because this, she's causing she's causing harm. And she's not paying attention because, because the woman backed down and felt uncomfortable. I guess she was the only African-American, I think, in the group. And that in itself is a trigger for a lot of folks of color. For those of you who are white, by the way, yoga isn't a white sport. <laughs> We've made it a white capitalist sport and yeah. it's causing trauma. Like, so what I want to go back to is like, what's the medicine? So give me like three things that yoga teachers or yoga um, studios can either do better, show up, but like, what are three things that they can do today to do better? All right, I'm going to draw something from my academic background, because this is something I teach in trainings when I, when I talk to teachers, is reflective practice. So I was fortunate enough to be trained this way um, when I was at Smith. It's after every class, you, you write, you sit, and you write, what went well? What could I have done better? Um, what do I think my students' experience was? Um, were you even observant of your students? Because a lot of teachers are not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and um, because I also, well, it's, it's a little bit aside, but I also uh, think that we are so conditioned to um, have automatic thought patterns that I actually, so I teach teachers in very difficult school systems, a lot of trauma in the kids and a lot of manifested behaviors and it's very difficult. So I also, I'm like, at the end of each week, I want you to think about one thing that you really appreciate about every student you have. Just make a list on a Friday and like, what is one thing that you appreciate about every student? And it, it creates this different relationship. You're not this all knowing authority and you're, you're in a process with your students. For me, teaching is the reason I love to teach and I, and it's a different kind of, I'm not, so my lane is very different, right? Yeah. Um, even though I'm in trauma work, I am still an educator. I'm still in the head. I don't crack people open. I don't think it's, uh, um, I'm very conscious. So my master's in mindful education and trauma studies. And I am very conscious of the fact that we are talking and I'm empowering through, through here. I don't, I'm not qualified to hold space for big groups and um, crack them open. I've actually been hired because the person before me did that and, and really a group of social workers with CBHI, I was hired because the man before me who, who trained them tried to crack them open in public space, right? Push them to crack open in public space. And it was so triggering and alarming. And you're working with social workers who work with really har uh, harmed kids, and, uh, work with mass kids on mass health and, and really difficult situations day in, day out. Um, so yeah, that would be one thing. It's just like to, to have a reflective practice, stay open. Um, and if you're going to be a teacher of anything, grow. Like can, you can't stop growing. You never get there. Um, yeah, and, and just be open, reflective. So I guess that, that's really one thing. Uh, what would be the second one you think? Well, I, mean I, would, I, would, I, would, I would personally say is just every, I mean, this is your podcast, but I definitely you know, say this in my own work. If something triggers you, sit with it and ask you why. Ask, ask yourself why, right? If I'm uncomfortable, if, if I'm upset about something, what is this thing upset? What is this thing? The real issue. Upsetting me, yeah. right? And What's the real ask, issue? <laughs> want to know one of the things I, I've given this exercise to young people in particular is you can practice on Facebook, right? I just, um, like, I just actually did a three month fast on uh, social media and it was really, really instructive. But one of the things you can do is like, I, I actually have a worksheet is like, is like, how do I feel right now? Okay. I'm looking at a post and I'm, I'm spending five minutes on Facebook. And then do a body check and like, where, how, how do I feel right now? Do I feel anything in my body? And like, am I upset? Because I mean, seriously, how much of social media is super triggering? You're in a good mood and then something's happening and you, you read through so many different topics and so many, you see so many different pictures or whatever. Yep. And next thing you know, your entire state has shifted. What, what bothered you? Learn about yourself. Like you can practice this. It's very easy in our world today to, to say, to, to identify and to have, a, a, you know, I'm talking about a cognitive um, awareness of your triggers, right? You have to use your body to do that. And we have to get in touch with our body. And that's when I send them to you and to really good yoga teachers to get in touch with their body. And then I did like, we do the cognitive part and that's empowering, you know? Yeah, I, do, I, we, I do a class that's um, called how to harness the, the secret, the three secret powers. Yeah. And it's about address because usually sometimes it's about addressing in order to get there understand the triggers yeah it's knowing the power of the word the power of the pause the power of processing it sounds so simple 
Yeah. But there's so much behind. So what I do in the course is how do we go in the subconscious and the somatics? So I use the somatic experientials of certain words and certain things. And, and yeah, and, you know, oh, yes, that's like, like the pause. Maybe people are like, but I already know how to pause. Well, if you knew, you wouldn't be triggered. <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. If, you, if you're yep. practicing what you preach, mm. then you wouldn't be triggered. And yep. if you're not practicing what you preach, then you shouldn't be teaching. That's, that's me. That's one of my things. If you're yeah. not practicing and you're not walking it and you cannot, I don't know, one of my things is if you cannot walk your student through a harmful triggering experience, you should not be teaching. So I have to say from my lane, I work with a couple of young kids privately. I work with a handful of, of young people, but other than that, that's not my lane because I wouldn't feel qualified. I have not been in that space with the energy and stuff like that. I feel like I'm a conduit. I feel like my medicine is reading heady NIH studies and WHO stuff and digesting it and making it palatable and, 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 you know, making the information available to people in ways they can understand where they don't have to spend, you know, 20 hours learning about a specific, you know, neural pathway or something. Right, that's, right. that's my lane. So, yeah. and I you don't have to focus. You don't have to go spend three years learning about neural pathways, but you no. should know about fucking neural pathways. Sorry, because if you don't know about neural pathways and trauma and where it's seated and how it shows up in the body, mentally, yeah. physically, and spiritually, then you actually could be perpetuating harm unknowingly. And yeah. I know one of, and probably this might be the other thing, if you are working with clients, because I know a lot of even yoga and people with Reiki, they do one-on-one -on -one sessions. If you are working with somebody with a history of trauma or if it comes up, you really need to be referring those people out. The people that actually have the training, that have had the dedication and they, and the, not only the training once, like I went to a weekend class and now I'm an expert. I'm talking ongoing every year, yes. year yes. in, yes. year out ongoing, never ending, because that is how you get better. Because this is, well, this is where my Reiki training comes in, because Asui, who's the founder of Reiki, created a level he himself never obtained because he wanted his students, including his teachers, to maintain the mindset of the student to never stop doing better. Because the minute you think you have it all, you really don't. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, stay humble, absolutely. So how can folks find you and, and who would be the ideal person that would want to reach out to you? So I'm not taking on any more um, private clients now. It's um, okay. I just, people gravitated towards me in the pandemic that really wasn't gonna be a big part of my space. So I, I really um, am about working with um, organizations. Um, so like, and organizations to serve like social workers, teachers, um, I'm trying to get my, my utopian dream, and this is a harder uh, concrete wall to crack, is to train uh, lawyers and judges in trauma. Well, that's, that's something what we and I can go, dream. that you and I can be partnering on, because that's, that's Caden's law right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's my utopian dream is, and so, and I, and also um, I can work, I work with, I can work with organizations and um, we identify, um, you know, harmful practices within the organization from a trauma perspective. So, so yeah, that's what I can do. My, my website is uh, 
is in beingempowered.com and it lists a variety of the workshops that I've held and what I do. Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that's me. And then the other piece to me, which is, which is why so many people over many, many years, I think, think I should go into politics is I am super interested in changing policy. So I know my lane. I want to change policy because inside of we have just created systems from super. So when you when you're an educator and you're really, um, you know, doing being your best self, you are trying to understand where am I headed? It's backward design. Where where do we want to go? And if we look at what we actually want for our kids, for our society, I think there's there is a lot of collective agreement. Every, so much of our systems, practices, and policies are run counter to it, and it's just inertia. You know, if some if they learn something new in medicine, it, it takes an average of like seventeen years to get it into the system and in practice. Right? The education system is like we're still using leeches to suck blood. It's yeah. it's so archaic and things like that. So I I like working with with individuals, the teacher, the social worker. You know, because I believe if you change people, that's how you disrupt a system. We uh, top down like reforms in education have never worked. So that's why I started thinking we've, we've just got to address training teachers deeply. There's a, there's a group I met, um, a group of guys that I met that spoke at a conference of several years ago that's out of Baltimore. And they are African-American and um, they learned yoga every morning when they were kids by their dad. And grew up learning yoga, and it was actually became a daily habit in their system. And they said they just became kids and grew up out of it, went to college, and then they moved back to, to Baltimore um, shortly around the time of the Baltimore riots, you know. And their friends were living in very middle class, upper middle class towns, suburban towns, and highly stressed. And their friends were like, How do you stay so calm and centered? And that's what it dawned out because they grew up learning the roots to yoga and implementing it on a daily basis. Um, and what they ended up doing was yeah. creating a systemic platform from a trauma-informed space. And now we're in 40 different schools from the top down. From Because the, their thing is they wanted to teach the teachers and the principals and the administrators. Because if yeah. they could do that, then yeah. they could teach the students. So... Now yeah. they're in 40 schools in, in throughout Baltimore. Uh, what is it? It was a fascinating story. I, I have to look it up. I'm having a brain okay. fart. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I remember hearing about them and meeting them like a few years ago. And I loved their story because again, the reason why they were able to bring it in the school, because they practiced it every day for 20 years at home, going to school getting up at 6 a.m., doing yoga in the morning, then eating breakfast, and then going to school. Yeah, and, um, and so you, you talk really importantly about if, you, if you're trying to find your, your lane and your purpose, you have seen signs your whole life, right? So I had a, a woman in my life photocopy a page out of this book, and this is 30 years ago. I was 15, right? Oh, 43, almost 30 years ago. And it was a book called Prescription for Nutritional Healing. And it was, um, if you have a headache or you're depressed or whatever, it's an encyclopedic book. I have like a third version copy because they keep falling apart. I like still having it. Um, and it, it, it developed, I was like, whoa, I was living in a, you know, a toxic home environment. And it was like, whoa, you mean I can do something about the way I feel? I am, in, like, I look back and I was like, it developed in me this super empowered orientation. And 
it's been a thread throughout my life. Whoa, whoa, I can do something about this. I can, I, for me, that's like understanding it. Oh, wait, if I can understand it, then I'm empowered to make choices. Right. So that's, that's me, the educator. It's, it's a thread that's run through my whole life. Um, I spent my life completely dissociated. So I would not be a good, my, 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 I cannot, I cannot, I have not developed enough to be a good teacher in an, in, you know, an energy space or something like that, that doing that intense yoga treatment, um, yoga, uh, training actually caused me harm in my personal life because it, this, it cracked open dissociation in my body. I had lived in my head and been through all these hard experiences. And because I was dissociated, everybody's like, you're so strong. You're, you're, you know, I was the superwoman archetype going through these experiences. As soon as I just, I got that beginning to get in touch with my body, I couldn't dissociate anymore. And so I started feeling everything I went through and that, and it was too fast and it was not under guidance of a good teacher and, 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 community. I do the same thing. I do the same thing in Reiki where people have said to me, I wish I would have known this before going and taking this Reiki teaching certification because it's all about love and light and everything is great and everything is so wonderful because again, it's about dissociation. It's also what I've seen happening. The addiction to just, it's the feel good addiction, the energy healing world. And I put yoga in there too is become very addictive. I want to go do that because it makes me feel better instead of actually going there to help yourself process whatever it is instead of spiritually bypassing and everything is good in love and light. Because as long as you keep avoiding those dark pieces, those shadow pieces within, then instead of integrating it, you know, if you don't integrate it, then like it continually is running like the operating system behind the scenes. You have to be able to process it somatically and mentally emotionally spiritually yeah. you know what are those triggers and then because i always say i said to one client goes and they were like oh i don't know and i go well do you know that when you allow the gps system your inner gps go there into the shadows that when you uncover those shadow pieces yeah. you're also reclaiming your gifts because along there with the shadows that you're suppressing you're also yeah. suppressing your gifts and you're suppressing the reward and you're suppressing the gold, yeah. right? And yeah. when, you, when you shine the light upon it all, then it integrates. And, and one doesn't override the other and you're not causing looking for the light, the light, the light, the light. You're not chasing the light anymore. I have to share this with you because it was a, it was a hugely, um, it was a different experience. I had, I had shared, I had a horrible day on Wednesday and it was really painful. And I, I couldn't stop crying. And all my life I was told, don't cry. So I am not a crier. And like, I just hold it in. And I like, it was such a tough day that I just started crying and I started letting myself and just like, um, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. I canceled my afternoon. And I was just let it go, let it go, let it go. Um, the flip, I would, I would caution though, because as like, I know from that experience and from showing um, that I'm feeling something really hard because I've learned to do that in small bites and I'm getting, but you get better and better and better at it. Um, you like ha- it's really important to like be aware. And this is why I love the education piece that because you're ready to hold space for your hard feelings and let them come out and sit with them. Um, and it's, it's, for me, it's a constant process. I'm not there. I don't know that I'll ever be there. I spent, you know, 35 years associated 
So I'm letting myself do that. I, I, it was, I knew, you know, let it go. You know, you're not cracking, let it go for hours. If you need to, if it keeps coming up, I'd pull it back together and it would just seep back out again. And because I was educated in it, and this is why I like, I like my lane. I'm like, no, this is good. This is good. Don't stop it. Don't stuff it back down. If it needs to be released, there's just so much in there. Just let it go. Yep. And, and you're yeah. ready, right? And, and you had enough to allow it. And what I also say is, but though for some, not everybody is able to do that. For those that are listening, to make sure that you have, you know, because I made the mistake a couple of years ago. Well, we're like six, seven years ago, where I basically had similar experience where something just went boom, right? Yeah. And I basically said, fuck you, universe. Like, I didn't do all this training and all this stuff and learn all these things to finally deal with this stuff coming up again. And I said, if we're going to bring it, I don't care if it's past life, generational, my shit, karma, whatever it is, bring it. Yeah. Be careful doing that. Because there's a reason why we process trauma in slow increment movements. Because within three hours, I woke up running to the bathroom as if I was miscarrying a child. That's how much blood and clots came out of nowhere. I actually had to go to the doctors. And I, and I kind of knew. I knew exactly what it was, my body. That's how I didn't go through the crying, but I... I brought it on. And so there's a reason because if you don't take the proper steps and you don't have the support systems, it's hugely important to have the support systems when you process really important deep stuff because it will show up as an illness. It will show up as an emotional, so-called emotional breakdown sometimes. And you need to have the proper trained um, healers and clinicians that are there to support and hold the container. And I have to jump in here for anybody who's listening who does not know this. Most therapists, like talk therapists, are not trauma trained. No, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has no has been proven to not help with trauma. I actually am open and and kind of hoping to work with the Narrative Therapy Institute because um, trauma is experienced. Obviously, we ex- experience stuff bottom up, right? And then we can trigger with our thoughts, a flood of emotions and cascading events, right? I honestly feel body work and I, I've oh, been yeah. really deeply impressed <laughs> with narrative therapy because it allows you within the context of very oppressive systems to know your own story, to not go to the automatic dominant uh, default narrative that you may not believe in, but that you're so conditioned by that you have the negative self-talk or, or whatever automatic pattern. And then narrative therapy is, is a, it, with a good narrative therapist is, is a, is a re is a restoring of your life from your inside out lived experience. So it's so wonderfully supports trauma. And I hope that very soon, um, because nothing gets out there and uncovered by insurance and things like that. And, yeah. you know, in the grounded world. So I have a question for you, so I, so I have a question for you because I'm wondering if it's similar to like, sometimes I'll have, you know, if something comes up for a client of mine, this happened, an old memory came up. So we actually went back and revisited it uh, somatically. And then we retold the story through a clean slate and rewrote the story and then went back into the body and said, and so we, we did this whole experiential with this. And it's the same thing. I work with people with fear and phobias. I'm actually got a new client coming that's got phobias 
And I had one that came because they, they had this thing that showed up as a trigger in a dream with a shark eating them. And I said, but what did you happen? Did you stop it? And I, I forget who was talking about this. I don't know, it was somebody who does trauma therapy, one of the experts. And, and they said, sometimes the problem is you stop the story because if you actually, what, what, at the end of the day, what happens if you say, okay, what happens if the shark gets you? Like, what happens? Do you mm-hmm. die? Right? We don't complete the story because what happens if you complete the story, yeah. it no longer has a hold on you. And like this person was talking about, oh, well, the, the, the shark has like got me all the way up to the waist. And I go, then what? Well, actually, now it's pulling back. And I go, now what? Well, now it's only got a small little brain, but I'm still scared. And I go, okay, well, where's the shark now? What's the shark doing now? Well, now it's kind of like back. I'm still afraid, but not as afraid as before. And then what happens? Well, now I'm able to swim ashore. Do you have any injuries? No. So how do you feel now? And they're like, oh, damn. I mean, that's all I had to do, right? <laughs> I was like, you know, yeah. but I mean, like, you know, and then, you know, different things. We go into like somatic stuff. Like where, where is that memory? We had to go into the body. Where is that stored? Yeah. And then, and then, and then we work on, you know, through the different things, whether it's Reiki or, pro, you know, different processing mechanisms to how do we shift that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, as you know, trauma, trauma survivors, especially, you know, big, intense, acute or chronic, um, the world is an, especially CPTSD, right? The world is a unsafe, an unsafe place. It's just, it's completely unsafe. So it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter if that's like, there's a fear of, there's just a fear of so many different things. Like in my experience, um, which included a displacement. And um, um, I, I ran into a, a really slum landlord at one point and I had to argue, I was dealing with that and I didn't have the funds for a lawyer and I'm arguing my own case. So I developed and it lasted for about eight years after I had become stable again, a fear of going to get my mail. Like getting my mail was taught, was so hard for me. I would leave it there for days and I, w- I would have my, my son ended up picking it up all the time because I couldn't because I was in this court, protracted court case for about an, a year and a half. And I, I was just trying to stabilize. And it was so important. I was facing um, eviction because when you get dis, when you have to be displaced because of domestic violence and, and, and lose your professional world for a while, your credit gets hit. And you're, there's so many re- practical, re- like so many real world repercussions. Absolutely. And, and, and we actually, yeah. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> so, so there's pragmatic stuff. And then there's also, in, in any of any survivor in anybody's life story, the stuff that you were talking about, the intergenerational patterns with, with, you know, your, your mother's experience, all that stuff that layers into the grounded, obvious stuff. Right. What um, goes into, we're going to probably wrap up with this, Yeah. but for those who are saying, but I still maybe not get it. And I don't understand this, especially if you are a white woman of European descent, because I think this is going to affect you more. Um, we did a we did a podcast episode uh, in February 2022 called "How the Burning Times of Witches Influence White Women Culture Today," and it's an excellent episode, especially if you don't know maybe some of your own unconscious hidden bias, whether culturally with yoga as a teacher, and you're still maybe not getting that you don't think you're doing anything wrong, and you don't get it. Okay, or if you're coming from like, why do we white women always do this? 
right? We're always in competition and we're always feel threatened by other white women. But yet I see with women that are immigrant communities or women of color have much more stronger uh, community bonds with each other than white women do. White women rat each other out. That episode may help you understand of how it was actually bred into your own very DNA for 500 years <laughs> of ousting out and, and the reward systems and actually murdering women deliberately because they were getting rid of the DNA codes of these women. It's a very interesting topic and conversation that I think if you're still wondering that, well, I'm not sure if I get in, I don't know if I have any hidden biases, that might be an episode I would highly recommend you check out. And I will put a link in the comments <laughs> on the YouTube channel. But thank you so much, Melanie. This was a very enriching conversation. And I Absolutely. appreciate you coming in and all the expertise you bring in with it. Thank yeah, you so much.